Good morning. That's not bad. Welcome to church. Aren't you glad you're in church today? I love that video. I found that about uh, six months ago, and I, I watch it every week, actually, almost. Uh, I watched it, I think, three times last week, just to remind me again of the wonder of the church. So welcome to church. Welcome, welcome home, see? The church. <laughs> the church, if we're really going to be the church, if we're really going to be the church, the church is the place where hands are held, tears are welcomed, pain and loss are comforted, energies are renewed, despair is repaired by hope, and weakness is allowed to be laid on the foundation of His strength and His presence. It's the place where we rejoice and cry together. It's the place where we own each other. It's the church. So welcome home. Welcome welcome to church. I'm so glad to be with you in Montreal Evangel today. I love this city, and I love this church, and i got to be honest, I love the church, period. I believe that the church is significant. In fact, not only do I believe in the universal church, but I actually believe the local church is God's finest expression of church on the earth. I just have had the privilege to be in so many places with local churches. and You know, I'm in a service where I don't understand one word that's being said or sung. Completely different language in Canada, by the way, and overseas both. And yet somehow, while I don't understand a word, I feel the presence of God. Because there's something powerful about the church gathering together in the name of Jesus. I was in a church once where the poorest place, the poorest church I've ever been in, poorest country I've ever been in, war-torn by civil war for 10 years. And in that church, we took an offering that day, and I've never seen people dance and shout and sing so hilariously as they gave so little out of less. And God made it more. I love the church. I love the church. I, I love gathering with people from other cultures and languages that speak differently than me, but they know exactly the same Jesus as I know in exactly the same way. They've come to faith in God through the sacrifice of His Son, and we share a common bond called faith, and we're going to share eternity together forever and ever and ever. I love the church that understands it's not about them, it's about everyone. And all we're trying to do is make sure that everyone else understands that they're invited to the same church that we attend, and we can welcome them to belong. I love the church. The church is the place of hope and joy and celebration and the future. It's the place where we rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. It's the place where we celebrate with those in victory and stand with those in battle. It's the place where we support those who are hurting and challenge those who are straying. It is the place where we build up those who are weak and teach dependency to those who are overconfident. So week by week, we welcome you and you welcome us and we welcome each other. We're the church. Do you know what I discovered about this place called the church? If it's really the church, there's a lot of affection in it. I'm so glad to be back with you. I didn't realize I was going to get quite so many hugs as I did this morning. And I love that because I'm kind of a huggy person anyway, and I really quite like that. And I know you've already greeted each other today, but I didn't see a lot of hugs. So I'm going to ask you to stand. This is your chance. If you're awkward, don't do it. But other than that, you need to hug about three people today. Let's stand and be the church, and let's have some affection in the house today. Hug some people today.
Now, folks, just three people, not the whole house. You can be seated. Thank you. So let me ask you a question. How many of you actually needed a hug today? Well, there's no better place to get it than the church. I got to be honest, I love the church. I love the church. I love the gathering of God's people. But here's what I discovered as I read the Word. I discovered somebody who loves the church more than I do. It's God. God loves the church. He actually calls it His church. It's the only thing in the entire Bible that God said, I will build. And it's His church church. And as I read the Word, I've been preaching through Colossians for about a year and a half now, and I'm in chapter 3 finally, and as I'm reading in Colossians, I've discovered as I've gone through Colossians five or six different descriptions of the church. And as I come to this text today, I found another description of what the church ought to be like. And I won't take time to read it because I'm going to tear it all apart as we go through the message today. Let's start. It really starts off by talking about this thing called this gathering, this church. And This was written to the local believers in Colossae. It doesn't even exist now. The, the, the town doesn't exist. The church doesn't exist. Just a mound of earth. That's all that's there now. But at that time, a church not started by Paul, by a man named Epaphras. Paul falls in love with them, and he's writing to them because they're under some persecution and being challenged by some false doctrine from outside. And he wants them to be solid and helpful and helped in the church. And so he says to them some amazing things. He starts with them on the inside. Start with their life as their heart with God and with each other. And here's what he says. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Now, folks, listen. Peace is one of the great subjects of the world. No matter how many countries I've been to, more than 60 of them, everybody I've ever met in every country all wants to be peaceful. They all want peace. All kinds of people that aren't even Christians have peace movements and looking for peace around the world. It's incredible. Now, for many people... Peace is described as an absence of conflict or an absence of war. And I'd welcome that, wouldn't you? But for others, for many of us, we see peace as tranquility. It's like the absence of pain or suffering or just rest even if you like. And I wish I could tell you that's the way it is. But you see, God's view of peace isn't quite like either of those. Because you see, even though you're in Christ, even though you're a follower of Jesus, life still happens. And it's not always peaceable. A pastor called me about three weeks ago just wanting some advice on how to help a family. Can't imagine the tragedy of this. The little baby is in the womb, five months old in the womb, and they did an ultrasound. I'm not sure why they waited that long. Maybe they'd found out earlier there was a problem. And they rushed the mother and the father to the hospital in Toronto, and they took all kinds of tests, and they said to the mom and dad, this little baby only has partial heart, and if you leave this baby till full term, then you will die to the mother. You will not live. The baby's going to take too much from you. And the baby's chance of living even then is very, very small, less than 3%. So what they recommended that she do, she didn't want to do that. She didn't want to abort the baby. So they decided that they would induce the baby instead. And so three weeks ago Monday, three weeks ago tomorrow, they induced the baby. And the baby was very tiny, five months old. You could hold it in your two hands. 
a little head the size of a, ba- of a tennis ball, but pl- perfectly formed, little fingernails and toenails and everything. And the little baby lived for exactly 22 minutes. Sad, right? On the same day, the man who was with his wife and his newborn daughter that died, her, his mother had either a stroke or heart attack, I can't remember which, and died within nine minutes of the baby. That wouldn't be what you would call a good day. I, I love the focus on a good day. That wouldn't be what you'd call a good day. But you see, here's the deal. God's view of rest is that it rises and falls in the fact that we have a living relationship with him. And the Bible says that when we have a living relationship with him, we have the peace of God and the God of peace who moves into our lives and takes up residence in us. And the peace of God really is an understanding in the midst of the storms we are not alone, that God is with us and with God on our side and God with us, we can actually make it. And we can make it through the good times and not lose sight of him. And we can make it through the bad times and not lose sight of him because God is still on our side and God makes everything, even the things we don't like and the things we don't understand, God makes everything work out for good to those who are called by his name and for his purpose. And I am so glad of that because, folks, there are times when I don't like it, but all I can do is trust that the living God who brings peace will bring peace, his kind of peace, and I rest in him and I trust in him. And in spite of the problems and the storms, I know he is God and he's on my side and I am in him and he is in me and together we're going to be okay. That's the peace of God. Thank God for peace. Thank God for peace. But in reality, there's something amazing here. He really isn't talking to Christians here, although it's essential because it would be impossible of peace in the church if you didn't peace in your own heart. What he's really talking about here is the church because Paul, like God and like you and I, love the church. Now, listen, folks, guess who makes up the church? We do. Look at your neighbors. Go ahead, look at them. Take a really good look at them. Take a really good look at them. Now, I want you to say to your neighbor, God loves you. Oh, that was very weak. Say it again. God loves. Listen, say it with some conviction. God loves you. Huh. I hope all of you got, see, here's the problem. The people that were saying that to you, you know them. And they're not always that lovely. Right? How many of you are married? Case closed. See? They're not always that lovable, right? But see, that's not the point. The point is we are not loved because we're amazing. We're loved in spite of the fact that we're sinners. You don't have to be perfect to be loved by God. God simply loves you. And if we're in the church, every time you gather in church, you're sitting next to people that God loves. We ought to love them like God loves them, as much as we know how, because God loves them. What a radical thought. Everybody that's surrounding you today is loved by God. Huh. Not only does he make that point about love, but he also makes it about Peace. So the people you look around not only are loved by God, but he wants peace to rule in the house. And what he's really talking to here is the church that he intends to be marked by 
peace. Now, I've been in leadership a long time, and I've been called to way too many meetings where Christians were fighting. Now, I know not in this church ever. I know that. And I've been called to way too many meetings where people have preferences. They like this song or not this song, or they like this color or not this color, and people, or they like this song, whatever. This, and preferences rule the day, and people take stands on preferences. Do you know there are people who have left the church over squabbles in the church over next to nothing because there's no peace? But wherever there's peace, people are attracted to that kind of church. People show up and they stay, not only internally, but just across the board. People are attracted to peace. And I'm, I find it interesting that Paul says, look, and this is so important that I'm going to give you a word to describe how the peace ought to happen and ought to work. And he uses the word rule. Now, the word rule in the original Greek actually means umpire. Now, I understand Montreal used to be a baseball town. It's not anymore. Montreal is a hockey town. Sorry about last night. I, all I can do is apologize. I'm not even a hockey fan. I don't care about hockey at all. I follow every other sport but hockey. I'm not really Canadian, I guess. But I'm sorry about last night. There's nothing I could do but I couldn't fix it. I couldn't change it. It just happened. But an umpire, have you ever thought about being an umpire? I kind of, the, the idea kind of appeals to me. I'd love to be in a game and somebody runs for the base and they land on it just in second and I say, you're safe. Think about the authority you would have. Think about that for a moment. And then somebody else say, don't quite make the base. So you say, you're out. Oh, I really like that. <laughs> there are a few moments I'd like to be able to say that to my kids. You're safe. Oh, you're out. Not out of the house, not out of my heart, but this is un- unacceptable. You're out. See, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that peace should be the rule of authority in the church. It doesn't mean we don't disagree. It doesn't mean we have to have all the same opinion. But if you and I disagree on something, we have a different opinion. What rules? Not you and not me. What rules is what is best for the body, what brings peace to the body. And in fact, I think Paul is on to something here. i got to be honest, I... I never saw this before until I read this text, and I started studying it for this message for you today. And so I just thought, wow, God, like, this is amazing. Not only do you want us to love one another, you want us to be at peace with one another. You want us to have peace ruling in the house so that we represent you well, both internally and externally. I ran across this quote. I thought, wow, if we're out of the will of God, we, often are, we are certain to bring discord and disharmony to the church. But at the same time, If at any moment we bring discord or disharmony to the church, then we're certain that we're out of the will of God. We need to remember, folks, that always this is His church and that He is in our midst. In a church that's ruled by peace, there's never getting back at anybody. Never. Never any lack of forgiveness. There's never any revenge. I ran across this quote. It appealed to my heart. I hope it says something to you. Here's what it says. The only people with whom you should get even are those who have helped you. About three of you got that. I could tell. The only people with whom you should get even are those who have helped you. But Paul's very honest about things. He just knows that it's not. I almost hesitated to share this with you because I don't see enough of it. 
in my own life or in the life of the church. And all I could do when I was done was say, oh God, please let let this be true of me. I hope it's true of you that we want peace to rule in our hearts so that peace can rule in his church so we can be his church. And Paul says, listen, there's a little word, it's a verb. Uh, Let it happen. In other words, you've got a choice. God would love to have peace rule in our church. The question is, are we wanting the same thing? I've called this section internal as it impacts how we live and serve together, how we love together, how we work together. The second thing he talks about is the external. He talks about the word. Look what it says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to the Lord. Now, folks, listen. This is the word. And the message of the word is always the same. The message of the word is the Christ. That's our message. And the only reason we're Christians is because we're people of the book. And Jesus is not only the written word, but he's the living word. And so when you come to faith in Christ and your sins are forgiven, then the living word takes up residence in you and the word of God dwells in you and we have this incredible relationship with him because we are his and he is ours and we love his word because his word becomes truth to us. I actually worry about the poverty of the word in our world today. I worry about how few Christians are really in the book, and I worry about how, how little foundation many Christians have in their lives. So when life does happen, they don't have a foundation of the Word, because here's what I've discovered. When the Word rules in our heart, then we have more peace, because we always have those moments where the truth of God comes. And I, I don't know about you, but I've been amazed at so many moments I'm in, in, in a situation that's bigger than me, and I don't know what to do, and I don't know what to say. And all of a sudden, the Word of God comes into your heart and soul and mind, and it changes everything. And every time that happens, I'm so thankful that I was in the Word enough that God could bring it back to my mind. It's the Word of God. Living, breathing, alive Christ. But even here... Like peace, it's not only individual, it's corporate. And he wants us to not only have it ourselves, but he wants to have it in the church. And he says, listen, the word is so critical in the church. Heed the word, obey its teaching and precepts. Hold the word, proclaim it as the truth and the basis for understanding God. Handle the word, let it be the rule, not opinion. Hide the word deep in the heart so it can comfort, instruct, keep and encourage. Possess the book, the living book, in your heart. And then he says, I want it to dwell. Hmm. Paul says in Ephesians that when we come to know Jesus, that Jesus actually takes up residence in our hearts. And now he's saying, I want more than Jesus to take up residence in your heart. I want the truth of God, the word of God, to take up residence in your heart. The word dwell actually means at home. (laughs) Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't feel at home? Am I the only one? Uh, I remember as a young believer, I was raised really poor, folks, like really poor. In our house, we had one bathroom that we all shared. In fact, we had a family towel. As long as it was dry, you could use it. It was usually, my dad was, worked in construction, so his hands were often dirty, so our towels were always brown or black, either before or after my dad. So a family towel. And I, I, remember, I remember being invited to this home once to stay overnight, and can I be I was a little insulted. They gave me my own towel. I didn't know that was etiquette. See, I didn't know. Can I, here's why I, I thought, they don't think I'm clean enough to use the family towel. I didn't feel at home. 
It's always nice when you can go into your cell at home, you can put your feet up and go to the fridge and help yourself, isn't it? That's home, see? And, and Paul is saying here, I want you to be in the Word enough that it feels at home in your heart. It doesn't come occasionally, like going on vacation once in a while. No, 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 no. The Word lives and abides and breathes and talks in your heart. That's the word of God. I feel sorry for people not in the book. They miss so much of God's best and blessing and truth and life. And he's saying, you've got to do that. Now, but the truth is, it's bigger than that. It's not just you and I. It's all of us together. This is why we have a place where we just gather together. Listen, let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. That's what we're about not only individually, but that's what we're about corporately. And I'm so glad that you actually have a pastor who believes in the word, loves the word, teaches the word, celebrates the word, is a great communicator of the word. And every Sunday you get to come to hear the word that's life-changing because Paul says when the word comes, it's good for teaching and admonishing. Teaching so that new truth comes to us corporately. And we're gathered together and the word comes. And folks, listen, it just doesn't happen by accident. This may not sound like it to you, but I get 20 hours in this message because you want to sort it through and you want to cook it in your own spirit before you serve the food to somebody else. And you study and you pray and you think and you change and you rework because you want it to be God's word for God's people at God's moment. And your pastor does that Sunday after Sunday after Sunday so you can come and you can leave filled up with the word of God as you've gathered together because it teaches you who God is. And you'll live better when you know who God is. And then it admonishes you. The word here is not challenging or correcting. It actually means to encourage. And you're built up and encouraged as you gather together. And the word of God is preached. Thank God for the church. Thank God that we get to do that. And Paul says something profound. Which one of us doesn't need wisdom? He says that when the word is preached, taught, and encouragement comes, then the wisdom of God becomes ours. And the wisdom of God is simply God's knowledge and understanding and truth applied to the ordinary, everyday situations of life. Man, don't you want that? I want this with all... I'm 71 now. I still want this. I hunger for this all the time. I hunger for the truth of the Word. And then he says something I've never seen before. Absolutely profound. He turns the subject from the Word to worship. And he puts them together. Now... I don't know where we started this, but in our churches, and don't be offended by this if you came a little late, but in our churches, we, we always start with worship, and then we go to the Word. Paul's order was exactly the opposite. Paul started with the Word, and then he used the worship to support the Word. Now, in our church, to be honest with you, I think we use the worship as a buffer for the people that are coming late so they can be here for the Word. I, I, sorry. So that means the worship isn't as important as the Word. But that's not true. It's not true. And every once in a while I've changed the order. And I always announce three weeks in advance if I'm going to do that. If you want to hear the word, you've got to come on time this week because I'm starting with the word. And then we're going to worship to support the word. I did discover you have to take the offering at the end. Because if you take the offering before the word, as soon as people come in, you lose a lot because people aren't here on time. Or they don't give at the beginning. I don't know. Maybe they need to be primed up to give. I have no idea. 
I don't know. I, I, just, I just know that Paul makes a focus, and he talks about three kinds of music that they use to worship. He talks about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So we sang one. We plant, Nick and I worked on it together. He did all the work. I don't know much music, and we worked on it together. Do you notice we did that? So we sang a psalm, 10,000 reasons. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Right out of the psalms. And then we sang, Hallelujah, what a Savior, a hymn. And then we said the creed, I believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's a spiritual song. We practice that today. And that's what worship's supposed to be about, that exaltation of who God is as we gather together. But then he makes a bold statement. It's not amazing here. Here's what he's saying, that not only does the Word have the privilege and the right of teaching and admonishing, but when you're in worship, and by the way, they spend as much time preparing and getting ready so that we can do this together and do it well. When worship is done well as it was this morning, then not only does the Word deliver people and have them to be taught and encouraged, but the worship does the same thing. Worship encourages and teaches us the truth of God. And it's not equal to the Word, but it's pretty close. Powerful. Paul actually might even make it equal. And I love the fact he talks about it in your heart. Now, folks, you need to understand. Pastor Rob and I were talking before the first service. This will come as no revelation to you, but he can't sing. Like, he just can't sing. He can't hold the tune. Neither can I. See, but when it talks about it in the heart, it doesn't mean silent. It, it, just, it just means that you worship God with your whole being, with all that you are. You let your whole heart get involved in the worship of God. And here's the good news for the rest of you who are non-singers. You don't have to sing to worship. I want some people to sing it. We'd only have a concert every week. See? For those of you that sing, and I do sing. I just make sure there's not a lot of people around me because you're trying to protect the body all the time. See? But you understand what happens? You open your mouth and you start to sing. And your whole being gets involved. And when your whole being gets involved, God is exalted. And in those moments, the words and the music teach us about God and encourage us in God. And in worship, we learn the wisdom of God. And not only do you have those problem moments when a verse comes back to you, but how many times have you been in a mess and all of a sudden some song or some chorus is echoing through your mind and your heart? And you just can't get it out of your mind and heart. And you don't want to because it's bringing you peace in the midst of the storm. That's what Paul's talking about. This is worship at its best, folks. Listen, I confess in worship, there have been times when I've been abused. I'm the guest speaker. Rob mentioned I used to be the general superintendent a long time ago. It doesn't mean a thing. I just can't hold a job. I have so many of them. But there the, the, the reality is that somehow when I was the general superintendent, people would feel obligated for God to move before I spoke. And sometimes God moves to the worship, but sometimes he actually moves to the word. And I've been in services where I've stood for 45 minutes waiting for God to show up when he already came in with the people. He didn't need to do that. I've been abused in worship. And if I'm really being honest, there's some songs I don't like. Am I the only one? It's okay. You don't have to like them all. I discovered you should sing them all because the songs I don't like, somebody else does. One of the worst songs to me is an old hymn. This is what he's done for others, he'll do for you. Now, some of you like that. 
You think of blessings and, I don't know, free cars or something. I don't know. Every time I hear the words of that song, I think of Jeremiah in a slime pit and Paul in prison. Oh, joy, what he's done for others, he'll do for you. I can hardly wait. That's the kind of week I was planning to have. See? But here's what I do know about worship. I have been loved by God in the midst of the songs as we worshiped. I sensed his love. I've been welcomed into his presence in worship. I've been called to better and bigger things in worship. I've been comforted through worship. I've been drawn to Christ through worship. I've been taught and admonished through worship. I've received the wisdom of God through worship. I've been drawn close to God through worship. I found joy in worship. I've discovered awe in worship. I've met with God in worship. How about you? How about you? Worship is critical to the family if we're going to be the church. The word is critical in the family if we're going to be the church. Peace is critical in the family if we're going to be the church. Again, like, like peace, Paul uses the word let. You're going to let it rule? You're going to let it be in charge? I've called this section external because it impacts how we touch our world and how we celebrate together the wonder of God. Then Paul goes on and talks about what I've called eternal. It really isn't eternal, but it is. And here's what he says. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, he starts right off with choice. Whatever you do, do it in. What he's really trying to say is this, is that your fellowship with Jesus should rule in every part of your life. Paul sees no difference between the sacred and the secular. And I know too many people that do all this church stuff on Sunday, but they don't sound anything like Christians the rest of the week. Paul doesn't see any division. He sees it all together, all as one package, all as one piece. He puts it all together. He intends it to be all-encompassing. He wants it to just rule in our hearts completely. Now, i got to be honest. I've often used this verse in marriage counseling. I remember dealing with a couple once, and he was a bit fastidious. He would kind of drive you nuts, to be honest, because everything had to be done right all the time on time. And he needed to learn that that wasn't always required. But she hated doing dishes. And so they were fighting about all kinds of things, including that. And so he would come home for dinner. The dinner would be ready, but the dishes in the sink are from last night's supper, this morning's breakfast, noon hour, and the dishes that it took to get this dinner ready. And he's fussing because the dishes aren't done, and she's fussing because he's fussing, and they're fighting, and they're having a terrible time. So I talked to him about backing off a little bit. But I really talked to her about doing the dishes. Like, it's not a big deal. Do the dishes before he gets home. And her answer was, I hate doing dishes. And I don't like him right now, so I don't want to do them for him. And I said to her, then don't do them for him. Do them for Jesus. Whatever you do, do what is unto the Lord. Some people in this room need to work as if you're doing it for Jesus because you don't like where you work. Do it for Jesus anyway. You raise your kids as unto Jesus. You love your marriage partner as unto Jesus. And she started doing the dishes as unto Jesus. And he came home and the dishes were done. And guess what? He got nice. And she thought he changed. It was really her. This is an all-encompassing verse. 
It's so powerful, it ought to take us all the way from here all the way to eternity. That's why I call it eternal. Now listen, this is really important. And the same attitude of service sets us free in the home, but it also sets us free to be in the church. So it's in the church we love one another. It's in the church we serve one another. It's in the church we make it work. I got here at 7.30 this morning, folks. This band was already here serving so they could make this worship good for you. That's what it is to do it unto Jesus. And while you're sitting up here enjoying this, there's somebody in the nursery, for some of you, and there's some people down working with your kids and doing a great job doing it unto Jesus because they love the church and they want you to have a great moment in worship and in the service because this is God's church. They want to do it as unto God. There have been moments that I vacuum as unto God. Both my wife and I hate vacuuming. I'm so fast, folks, I can vacuum without turning it on. But I do it unto God. See, there's a freedom to serve and a freedom to live that God wants for all of us. And it impacts the church. Well, that's almost a message all by itself, don't you think? But Paul has a few other things he just does going by, and I need to get to them in the few minutes that I have left. He talks about gratitude. Look, look what he says. He repeats these words, thankful, great gratitude and thanks. Now, the first word thankful is a different word than gratitude and thanks, but they all mean the same thing. And all trans- gratitude and thanks are from the same word, just translated differently. I'm not quite sure, not quite sure why. I, 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 I love this word. I love how he repeats it. <laughs> Have you ever been in a car with kids and they repeat stuff and they kind of bother you after a while? Am I, am I the only one? I'm traveling with these kids. There were three of them, about 9 to 12. I don't know where we were going for some church event. And I don't know why they were singing this song. They were singing, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. It's like an Alka-Seltzer commercial. Do any of you remember that at all? Anybody remember that? Well, about maybe none of you. I remember. Anyway, so I'm old. So, it's, so they sang it the first time, and then they giggled. <laughs> I'm thinking, that was kind of cute. <laughs> and by the 20th time, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, this is kind of nauseating. This is kind of boring. By the time they sang it the 50th time, I thought, I can hardly wait to get out of this car. And an hour and a half or two hours later, whatever the length of the trip was, and they sang it thousands of times and laughed every time, I thought, I'm going to go out of my mind. Now, I'm sure none of you have had that experience. It's just me. And you would all be godlier than me in it, I'm sure. But see, Paul's doing the same thing. He's repeating the same thing over and over and over again. And some wonderful people with words said this profoundly. Let me read you some quotes. I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is happiness doubled in wonder. Gratitude turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos into order, confusion into clarity. It makes sense of our past, brings peace today for today, and creates a vision for tomorrow. In ordinary life, we hardly realize that we receive a great deal more than we give. It is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. Gratitude is the healthiest of all human emotions. The more you express gratitude for what you have, the more likely you will have more to express gratitude for. Thank you is the best prayer anyone could say. I say that one a lot. Thank you expresses extreme gratitude, humility, and understanding. None is more impoverished than the one who has no gratitude. 
Gratitude is a currency that we can mint for ourselves and spend without fear of bankruptcy. My socks may not match, but my feet are always warm. That one just appealed to me somehow. I almost wore mismatching socks on purpose so I could show them to you, but then I thought I didn't need to do that. Give thanks because contentment only grows when you shower upon it gratefulness. And here's the truth, folks. When you have gratitude, there's more peace. And when you have gratitude, the word and worship come alive because they become expressions of gratitude to God for our relationship with him. And when you have gratitude, then life is easier to live for Jesus and with him and the audience of one that we call our Lord and our Savior. And I'm intrigued by this because as Paul is writing this, Paul is in prison, a real prison, folks, living out what he's preaching and writing and teaching, that gratitude matters. And the last thing Paul talks about is glory. I want you to notice what this says. Let the peace of who? Christ. And the word of who? Pardon? Christ. In the name of who? The Lord Jesus. Now, my kids were never that repetitive in the car. Well, they were occasionally. But I remember our first trip to Florida. There were three phases, three phrases repeated continuously. Are we there yet? Huh. Mom, Dad, he's touching me. Or she's touching me. Or the territorial one. Mom, Dad, they're on my side of the car. They're establishing territory. And I've discovered that in this verse, these three verses, Paul is establishing territory. He wants to remind us that everything we have in God is centered in the sacrifice of God's Son. God the Father, Jesus Christ became the Son of, from the Son of God, became the Son of Man. He was born of a virgin. He lived. He preached the gospel. He established the kingdom. He was crucified. He died. He rose again. He sits in the right hand of the Father. And one day he's coming back as the ruling, reigning Lord because he's God. And Paul doesn't want us to miss that everything in the church focuses on this one person and all that God has done through him for us so we can have eternal life with him. It is Christ that is the center of the church. It's all about Jesus. And when it's all about Jesus, then we become the church. Do you know there's a place for you here? There's a place for every one of us with all of our flaws and bumps and warts and bruises and celebrations and joys and victories and losses. There's a place for every single one of us here. But if we're really going to be the church, peace rules. If we're really going to be the church, the word and worship, teach and encourage and lend the wisdom. If we're really going to be the church, we do as much as we know how to do, as much as lies within us, in honor of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're really going to be the church, we're thankful and grateful for all that God has done for us, and we live a life of gratefulness. And if we're really going to be the church, then we know it's all about Jesus. And we live our life to, come on back, band. And we live our life to celebrate Him and to honor Him 
and to extol him and to lift him up because we're the church. Welcome. Welcome to church.